0: the in-depth podcast by Island FM.
1: I'm Richard Harding and uh, we're in a St Peterport coffee shop with President of the Policy and Resources Committee, Gavin Sapir. Good morning. Can you tell me a bit about uh, your background before you got into politics?
0: Yeah, I, I mean I had quite a long um, career in financial services. I'd, I'd originally trained as a uh, as a chartered accountant and, uh, and as a tax advisor and, and, and it was... Um, started in Guernsey and then moved to uh, the City of London and had a a couple of years there before coming back to the island in 1995 and at that stage moved into the trust sector. So I had uh, 20 years in the trust sector before uh, a a change in direction and um, deciding to, to, to stand for election.
1: Now, of course, the business community is always trying to encourage people with talent from the finance and uh, accountancy business and that kind of thing to, to stand for the states. Often, though, they, they, they struggle to, to get the right sort of people in. Um, how, how do you think more people from, from the business and finance sector can be encouraged to stand?
0: Well, I think I mean I think it's really important that the state of deliberation should be as representative of the community as possible. So that it shouldn't be stacked with people from any one sector or another. But having said that, I think it's fair to say that probably the finance sector actually is, is probably underrepresented. If, if you consider that it is our largest um, economic sector, um, then actually those that have come from that background are, are, are probably thin on the ground within the States. Um, but I, it, it is a challenge. Um, for uh, the, the reality is is that those who come from a business background may come with a, a set of Preconceptions about uh, about governance that, that operates within a corporate environment, and it's very different in in, in the uh, in the public sphere, um, and rightly so, because at the, at the end of the day, uh, a government is uh, accountable to the electorate, um, and that means that there is far greater scrutiny uh, from the public through the media, and of course more recently through social media, uh, which means that that you are operating more in a goldfish bowl in a way that you're not within the corporate sector and i think that can be difficult sometimes for those with a commercial background to adjust to where they might be used to being able to make um, speedier decisions uh, in the knowledge that they can be changed at a later date um, in a way that, that just simply isn't really practical when you're talking about government
1: Biggest issue of the day, obviously, Brexit. What is the latest on Brexit preparations?
0: As we talk today, of course, uh, it remains a fast evolving scene and no doubt by the time this is broadcast as a podcast or indeed people listen to it, it may have changed again. Um, so as we sit here talking this morning, um, we continue to plan for, uh, for both eventualities, in other words, the United Kingdom leaving uh, without uh, a withdrawal agreement, uh, the United Kingdom leaving with a withdrawal agreement and of course there remains the possibility that the United Kingdom won't leave uh, on the 31st of October because there will be a further delay. Um, so we, we have to, to continue th- that preparation. Um, there is a group within government called the Brexit Transition Group which is, brings together a number of interested committees that meets, has been meeting every other week, that will now be meeting weekly between now and, uh, and, and uh, the 31st of October and indeed beyond if necessary. Uh, The Civil Contingencies Authority continues to keep uh, a watching brief. Uh, I was in London last week meeting with ministers from a range of departments, the Ministry of Justice, the Department of Transport, the Department of Health. as we continue to uh, examine, re-examine all of the the contingency plans to ensure that we are as prepared as we can be, bearing in mind that we are at the end of these long logistics chains. Um, In in terms of the World Trade Organization, uh, I did also meet with the Minister of the Department of International Trade. Uh, It it has been agreed that the World Trade Organization... um, membership the UK's membership of the WTA will will be extended to us uh, and I am confident that that will be completed before the 31st of October um, with with or without a deal so um, it's been a long journey but we are now there.
1: How is Guernsey preparing to attract more high net worth residents to the island Um, some fleeing Brexit maybe also the possibility of a hard left Labour government?
0: Well, in fact, I was at a, last week, in whilst I was in London, I also attended um, a Locate Guernsey event, which they, they hold annually, um, uh, to speak to the intermediaries and advisors, but also to those that are potentially interested in relocating. Uh, and it certainly struck me that the level of interest um, and the serious interest from a, a number of people who are actively considering Guernsey, for a whole raft of reasons, and I think it's uh, it's not really for us to... Um, to speculate or comment on those other than to, to, to perhaps note that, that the level of uh, political polarisation and uncertainty which it does exist elsewhere I think is playing into people's anxieties um, and, and we can pre- justifiably present a picture of stability, political and economic stability and, and fiscal stability which, which uh, is deeply attractive at the moment. So I, I don't think um, I, th- I think we have got the right infrastructure in place through Locate Guernsey and the work they do. They, they are highly regarded and respected by those that they deal with and uh, they need to continue to do what they're doing and, and certainly the statistics show that we've had uh, I think more new residents um, coming certainly coming through Locate Guernsey this year and the year-to-date than we had through the whole last year, so, uh, and that, that I think is reflected in the, um, in the property transaction uh, statistics as well.
1: We do, of course, have a big rival across the water, about 15 miles away in the form of Jersey, with far better and cheaper flights and connectivity. How do we face that?
0: Well, I, I, I think we should keep in mind that the, our connectivity um, is excellent, actually, with, uh, and particularly in the last year or so, it has further increased. Um, so that uh, you know, into the London market we have Gatwick, we have Southend now, uh, we of course have the, the increased uh, flights into Southampton and uh, again a point that I made at the, uh, um, the Locate Guernsey event last week is we are the only Channel Island that has uh, flights into Heathrow uh, and, and uh, that, that is attractive as well for those that want to connect. Uh, who want to connect out of Heathrow.
1: We'll get on to that uh, a little bit later. Um, but uh, firstly, fishing. Um, we're sat here very near the harbour. Talks are underway for a new fishing agreement uh, similar to the Cornville Bay Treaty uh, signed with Jersey. What do you think would be the impact of a deal or a no-deal Brexit on the fishing industry?
0: Uh, I mean, this, this is one of these um, knotty problems. I, I think the, the, the challenge is, is that fishing is a, an issue which is ultimately one for... Within the EU context, is one for Brussels um, rather than for either Paris or or the local fishermen in Normandy. I think um, if it was left to uh, to the local parties to um, to resolve this issue, I think it would have been resolved by now in terms of of, of what we want. So uh, I think we have to sort of recognise the geopolitics that exists around around fishing. Um, the uh, I, I think. Everyone has probably agreed that the most pragmatic and practical uh, solution is that, um, with or without a deal on the 31st of October, that actually the status quo just continues for the time being. Um, that allows time for um, uh, for you know sensible discussion and uh, over a um, uh, without the emotion and, and heat of everything else that's going on. So my hope is that that is the position we'll get into. I think if we. Uh, if, if it becomes a, a crunch um, then it has all the potential to um, to be quite messy for all parties so uh, I, I hope that that's, that's where we will end up with. Um, clearly with the ending of the London Fisheries Convention which is uh, something which the UK has also given notice on at the same time that it decided to um, to withdraw from the European Union um, that does mean that we do need to come to, to, to fresh uh, arrangements for the waters around us uh, but it is an immensely complex jigsaw because of course uh, even within the Bailiwick we have the in- different interests of uh, Alderney and Sark as well and those do need to be reflected and taken account of so um, uh, there are many voices that need to come to the table and be reflected uh, and, but as I say my my hope, my hope and indeed I think my reasonable expectation is uh, that we can continue with the status quo for a, for a period that allows those discussions to take place in a calm manner.
1: Because, Of course, the, uh, the majority of the catch is actually landed in, in, and sold in France, isn't it? It is, yes,
0: 80% by value. Um, so, and of course, our fleet is, is uh, you know, relatively small, with relatively small boats, which means that, that you know, it would not be terribly pra- uh, practical for them to, to try and sail further north to land their catch in the English ports. Um, so, uh, an inability to, to use the French ports would be a significant uh, barrier and challenge for, for our local fleet and I think it, it's, it, it is not a big, big commercial fleet, it is what would be largely be regarded as being uh, artisanal um, and uh, whilst it's not a significant economic contributor, it, it, it remains an inc- incredibly important historically and I think emotionally for uh, for the Bailiwick and, and we are determined to, to ensure that it is um, not damaged by this process and, and that's very much one of our objectives.
1: Now, Aurini, um, turning to the airlines, uh, Aurini's losses are predicted to be £9.6 million pounds next year. So, in your personal view, should the airline focus more on its lifeline routes, um, especially Gatwick?
0: Yeah, I mean, this this is another um, complex jigsaw, or perhaps a Rubik's cube in this case, of, of different uh, interests and challenges. Um, we have the the decision of the uh, of the states of deliberation to open up to quasi-open skies, uh, with, albeit with get the Gatwick group protected, um, but increased competition elsewhere. We've got the decision to support. A, uh, and subsidise a route into Heathrow, and all of this, of course, has had an impact on on R&E's, um finances. There aren't any easy solutions. The, 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 as I've said many times before, the reality is, is that Aurigny is, is in global terms, is a subscale operation. In other words, it's uh, in a normal commercial sense, it's, it, w- it would not operate elsewhere. Um, its prime function is, yes, to operate the Gatwick route, but we have to remember that if we were just to scale back to that, there would still be significant fixed costs for the airline in running even just that one route. Um, And actually, that in itself may mean that it makes sense for it to be running other routes in order to help support that fixed cost base. So um, we also really need to be determining do we want it to be doing another do we want it to be supporting the regional routes um, and if so how and and what 's its role is it going to play a role in, in, in uh, the, the Alderney routes there are quite a few questions uh, not many answers at the moment but the states really does need to have this debate which I think in the early part of 2020. Uh, with a view to providing some clear parameters and and ultimately some clear idea of how much public money it's prepared to support in order that that the States Trading Supervisory Board can hold the airline to account and indeed the the States Trading Supervisory Board itself can be held to account by the States. I think at the moment that's missing.
1: You talked about um, Heathrow earlier on um, as being a a selling point as far as connectivity Uh, but should the States continue to subsidise it um, which can also detrimentally affect Orini.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is one of the conundrums. Um, the, the, the uh, undoubtedly providing public support to Heathrow has enabled that route to happen. That's given us a competitive advantage versus Jersey. It's also lowered fares into the London market, which is obviously to the benefit of the travelling public, both local and off island, coming to the island. Uh, we have seen an increase in. Uh, in air traffic into the island in 2019 and of course it's it's difficult to separate out the reasons for that and understanding whether some of that is is the new routes whether some of that's a subsidy and so on Um, uh, and and it is a way you in essence we have to weigh different interests we have to weigh the interests of taxpayers versus the the interests of uh, uh, the economy as well. Um, and, and that really is, is the work that needs to go on over the next month or two as PNR tries to uh, bring some some kind of coherent uh, um, thinking and, and ultimately a strategy to the states for debate in the early part of 2020.
1: Now Alderney, uh, perhaps a bit of a thorny issue, there's uh, recently been an open letter from the President of the States of Alderney, which you've also publicly replied to, about Alderney's collectivity And it's been hinted at, or more than hinted at, that the Southampton route, there's a question over its viability. Is there a, a plan to end the alternative to southampton route?
0: I don't, there aren't any, any, any plans to do so at this stage. I mean, the, the public service obligation process is one that's being run at the moment by the Committee for Economic Development. It, it's still in train, so I, and I don't know what the outcome of that uh, will be, but I hope that it will uh, draw to a conclusion relatively soon so that some decisions uh, can be made. Um, Ultimately, uh, the costs of running uh, Alderney, Guernsey, and Alderney, Southampton, do need to be um, do need to be considered, and and we also need to think about who is going to support that. Uh, The 1948 agreement between the states of Guernsey and the states of Alderney does not cover um, air transport. It it, it, uh, imposes an obligation on states of Guernsey to provide an airfield but not the airline to run to the airfield. Um, so that is an issue that does need to be brought into this discussion is uh, whatever routes are to be provided and whatever cost they are uh, is going to be required if any in terms of public support um, who is going to pay it um, and that, that is, is, uh, remains an unresolved question as well.
1: And just one related topic to, while well, we're talking about the airlines. A lengthening the runway is back again on the agenda with a raquette led by you know, Deputy Jan Kultenbacher. Uh, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, I think uh, at, you know, at, at first uh, face value, I think um, having uh, in essence the same debate as was had only a few months ago um, with no, no change in the circumstances other than uh, a, an apparently a lower budget, which I don't think is necessarily supported by any evidence to suggest why the sum uh, needed would be less than that was that was required earlier um, uh, there doesn't seem to be much merit in having that debate having said that i, I think um if we are thinking about the uh, strategic air policy um, in particular for Uh, and its impact on orally, then the length of the runway does fit into that equation. So um, I I think we do need to to think about these things together. I don't think it's particularly helpful to be thinking about Um, the the runway one month and and air policy the next month so uh, quite how we bring those two together I don't know but it's something that uh, perhaps needs to be thought about rather than um, seeing them
1: as as completely independent issues because one does have an impact on the other. But of course the using of the safety area, the RISA has now been ruled out on on, uh, safety grounds so does that make it more likely that we'll have to consider lengthening the runway?
0: Well uh, certainly and and, um, uh, Deputy Cuddlevasher has Uh, certainly this is an issue which he has been campaigning on for well pretty the best part of ten years I guess Um, but certainly uh, in relation to the RISA his request for that which was supported by the States uh, it was presented very much as being a a very easy option an easy solution and of course it's proved not to be valid Um, so uh, you know I think we need to be cautious about um, if you like, throwing good money after bad, and reaching for solutions which don't really exist. You know, uh, the uh, search for the unicorns, which I think is a, a phrase which has been picked up elsewhere uh, this year. Um, uh, so, uh, uh, the hunt for them, um, that, that does come at a cost to the exchequer. So, uh, I, I'm really, I think, really re-emphasizing the point that looking at the, the air routes and the air line and the airfield, they all need to be done together rather than independently.
1: Now, uh, the current budget situation, we had the, uh, the budget out last week. Um, it's been described as unsustainable. Um, the, bu- the budget has been balanced this time around taking some of the um, contributions from the, the capital reserve as that, that's slowed down, the construction's has slowed down. Uh, but what sort of taxes are being considered to balance the budget in the long term?
0: Well, um, I, I mean, uh, let's be clear. I think that the, balance, the budget is balanced this year, um, and one of the measures to enable that to happen has been a reduction in the amount uh, placed in the cap reserve. But that's been a, that is a judgment based on the um, the. Looking at the capital portfolio, the project, or the the, the portfolio of of capital projects which are underway. So, we do believe that that is a reasonable, manageable, and responsible decision. However, um, the phrase unsustainable I think is more a medium term to longer term issue in relation to our tax base. Now, this is not new. Um, This is something which uh, has been identified a number of years ago. We've known for a while that um, our tax base is peculiarly narrow, in other words uh, we we get nearly 70% of of all income for public uh, services is funded by the taxation of um, direct personal income, Um, in other words what what you and I and, and others earn. Um, that is that is off the scale in terms of uh, uh, any any international comparisons. and part of the problem with that is that as our, our, uh, our as our population is aging in the same way that most, uh, developed Western economies' uh, populations are ageing. It means that, generally speak- speaking, although people may be working longer um, as they get older, they will tend to actually working fewer hours, or they will really be earning less, and therefore they will be paying less in taxation. So, the tax base is um, is, on a, is, is unsustainable as a source of funding. Greater. Uh, demand for public services, again often driven by the health and care needs of, of an ageing population. So uh, you know that is the reality of the situation we are operating in, and, and, and that's what ultimately needs to be addressed in the medium term. Um, the, we do have some constraints on that. If you look at the nature of our economy, our nature of economy is very dependent, as we said earlier, on financial services. That means that actually the taxation of capital um, is not a viable option. Um, uh, because of the impact it would have on on, uh, that industry Um, and also we have constraints on us in terms of corporate taxation because of the international rules Um, so whilst there may be some flexibility there it's not necessarily the silver bullet that people imagine so that really means that that you're then looking at well should should there be a role for uh, some kind of indirect taxation in particular consumption taxes, sales sales taxes, uh, value added taxes those sorts of things or should we be thinking about um, whether there is some uh, tax which is specifically hypothecated or put aside for funding health and care, um, in, in other words a dedicated health health tax in some way? Um, again, I, I'm not sitting here with all the answers today. Um, all I can do really is present the nature of the problem and, uh, some, and pose some of the questions. But these are questions which uh, the states and the public do need to engage with um, in, in you know, fairly short order, um, if we are to develop a, a sustainable uh, public finances fit for the 2020s. So I'm not concerned about the 2020 budget, but as we look further into the 2020s, um, this is not an issue that we can uh, bury our heads in the sand on.
1: So when would you hope to, or your successors, depending on what happens, hope to have a, a new system? In operation.
0: Well what we're saying to the states through the budget report this year is that we want to present in January a policy letter that deals with what we call the fiscal rules, in other words the size of government, how big should government be in Guernsey as a proportion of the economy for example, how much should we be putting aside for capital expenditure in the future, those sorts of big, uh, um, that sort of the the framework around uh, which we we should be operating as as a government. Um, and also as part of that we should also be setting out the terms of reference for uh, a review of the tax, the, the tax base. Um, so we envisage having that debate in January and then I think it'll realistically it will probably be for uh, the next states to be actually making the decisions in, re, in response to that review. I don't see that those decisions will be made this side of uh, the general election in June next
1: year. Also looking at uh, current and future things, the states have signed um, a 10-year digital transformation deal with Agilisys. So how will this practically improve things and improve our lives generally?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is very much about uh, trying to make sure that the states is fit for purpose digitally. Um, Again, partly reflecting the change in... The workforce within the states, recognizing that um, a good chunk of the, the public service, uh, whether that's civil, the civil servants or whether it's nurses or policemen, will be retiring and leaving service over the next few years. So, actually, we need to be redesigning the way we do things, uh, and whether it's how we apply for a driving license down at Borough Avenue and whether we should be able to do that online without needing to step anywhere near an office uh, or whether it's the way we interact with the revenue service in in how we pay our taxes. Um, We need to be designing those things that, that actually place less reliance on on um, uh, uh, flesh and blood and people, uh, and and place more reliance on the use of technology. And that's really what the the digital transformation of the States is about. Um, And uh, that, that work is, I'm pleased to say, that work has now begun.
1: So that's the, the tell-me-once situation where, you know, you, if you fill in a form it can go to several places at once. And, Correct, yes. I think,
0: you know, there's, there's uh, several examples have been given of if, if you move house, the, the number of times you need to notify different agencies within different public agencies is, is ridiculous.
1: Now, the States Assembly and Constitution Committee are looking at how the election is going to be run next year. Um, in this island-wide situation, how do we get over the problem of having to read so many manifestos? This is something we're talking about in an earlier podcast with uh, Deputy Neil Linder. Uh,
0: well, I'm, very, I'm, I'm pleased to say it's a problem for the States Assembly and Constitution <laughs> Committee rather than, than the Policy and Resources Committee. Um, I don't envy that challenge, it is a significant one. Um, The the reality is we have to think about the public, and what the public are going to need to be able to make informed decisions. Um, We have to remember that the public will, each and every one of us, will have up to 38 votes. Um, The practicalities of how we will execute those votes um, is is a unique challenge i don't think it's been done anywhere else in the world um, uh, so i'm afraid um, i don't have the answers um, but it's uh, it, it is it, it is a uh, it is a real uh, real issue that, um, that that does need to be thought very carefully about we have to make it as easy as possible uh, the last thing you want is people giving up and saying oh this is just too complicated i can't be bothered um, because that level of apathy and dis-
1: disinterest ultimately would not be good for, for our democracy. And finally, looking ahead, uh, the elections next year, are you planning to stand again? Um, it's a good question.
0: It's one that I'm asked uh, reasonably frequently. Um, I, I've been doing this job now for uh, well, just over seven years uh, and, and obviously Treasury Minister for the first four. So I feel like I've been uh, running at, um, at a, a full pace Uh, for all of that time and and certainly do need to consider um, whether uh, whether it it makes sense to be trying to do another four years and whether it works for for myself and and of course for my family, that's that's an important consideration as well. Having said that, there are are, uh, things which are, if you like, uncompleted work that I'd, I'd like to continue. Um, so it's something I'm give, giving very serious consideration to. I think uh, going back to your previous question about how you present um, sensible options to the public, I think it, it uh, may make sense to be trying to do so in, in conjunction with other people. So not necessarily as a party, but in terms of that the, the public can see that individuals are, are able and capable of working with each other um, and, and gives them confidence that Um, that whether people agree or disagree on individual policies, that they can at least work together. So I think that's probably one of the key influences for me, is is whether that will be achievable um, before June next year, in other words, whether there, 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 there is that opportunity to Uh, present a perhaps a slate of of individuals who can work together. Um, So still quite a bit of of thinking to do um, before a final decision is made.
1: Do you think, could you you give us an idea when you might have made the decision
0: or will it go down to the line? I I don't know. No, I think uh, I don't want to be a hostage hostage to fortune. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I I think I said earlier at the beginning of this year when asked this question by um, one, of your, uh, one of your media rivals um, that I was probably more likely to than not and I think that probably remains, uh, remains my position but as I say I think um, it, it's, there, are, there are a lot of factors to consider and I, and I don't uh, you know, want to underestimate that particularly, uh, particularly when you have to
1: think about family as well. Deputy Gavin St thanks for joining us on In Depth. Thank you very much indeed.
0: You've been listening to the In-Depth Podcast with Richard Harding.